episode 111 of the sleeper in the bus podcast brought to you by fangraphs.com on this friday afternoon april the 24th i am jason colette joined by Eno saris good afternoon man yeah it is a good afternoon we went to the zoo today and uh i'm trying to listen out of one ear to see if my son is gonna actually take his nap so if i have to run off and deal with that that's what's going on Hey, I understand. I, I've been there and done that, so <laughs> I know I, I have a, a suspended child home today from school. I thought we were going to make it all the way through the year, but you know, when you play ninja at school and you're a little too rough, sometimes that happens. So yeah, I have a I have my own <laughs> child at home today, <laughs> but yeah, not not good. So we're going to talk about. There's been some roster movements. Uh, there are some guys uh, AAA begging for a call up at this point, and then you wrote a piece on. Strikeout rate, uh, using strikeout rate and walk rates that we'll discuss. And then something that just sticks in my craw, since I'm in the South, I can say that, sticks down here uh, that's happening right now in baseball that's just driving me crazy. I guess the biggest injury thing right now that we have to deal with uh, on two different fronts, one, Chase Headley is out for two to three weeks. They've placed him on the disabled list. He's going to be out, uh, Jim Bowden was saying, two to three weeks. And they called up Jace Peterson in his place. Jace, Jace Peterson, I had several questions about him in the chat that I, I did today. And people wanted to know what kind of playing time he was going to get. I'm like, who knows? I, mean, I can't think it's going to be consistent playing time once once Headley comes back. Because you're looking at Cabrera, you know, he's being paid. Second base, Jerko is obviously being paid now. Peterson was in double A, was hitting 311 with a 386 on base percentage. Did have 51 and 42 steals over uh, the past two seasons in low A and high A, and those aren't unusual steals totals. This season, uh, he was four of seven in double A, and that's kind of the double A litmus test. You, you can get a lot of minor league speed burners in the lower levels. As once they get to double A, that's kind of the, the separate. That's when you get your good throwing catchers, your pitchers that know what a move is, those kind of things. And sometimes that, that's the deal breaker there. That's what Peterson's doing so far, but they've called him up. Here he is. He turns 24 next week, uh, about 10 days from now, but he's up. Yeah, it's kind of nice that they don't, uh, they're not too worried about the Super 2 deadline and they're just, they're willing to take him up. I guess if he, you know, sets fire to the league, um, they can make room for him. It's, uh, it's not like Ebert Cabrera is any good with the glove and he's got his own issues. And, um, you know, I guess they could find uh, find a way to use him around the around the infield. But uh, I reached out to someone I know at the Padres, and it seems like uh, most likely is Amarista gets the playing time. Um, and uh, you know, they can still get Super Two out of him by sending him back down um, and and manipulating a service clock that way. So I think it's exciting. It'll be fun to sort of scout him against major league hitters because one of the things he does so well is have great patience with uh, great ability to make contact. Um, that's a little bit more real life uh, than fantasy skill, though. Um, so I think that, you know, for fantasy, we're, we're looking to see how his speed translates. Like you said, it's not translating completely to uh, AA in that success rate has gone down. Uh, but I guess he has the potential to be 
maybe like a little bit better than an Andrews type, like a good a good batting average with thirty plus steals or something. Right. Uh, maybe a little bit more homers, but I, I don't think he's going to hit you know much more than five or ten a year. Um, maybe just not a complete zero in the power department. Uh, but in terms of like points leagues and stuff, he's very exciting. And, um, you know, I know that they're excited about him at the, in the Padres organization. So yeah, definitely. I mean, we, one of the things that stands out, you look at that, the the minor league statistical record, the walks and strikeouts are almost identical, Uh, 175 walks and 183 strikeouts. So those, that's what I like to see for a guy especially if he's a speedster, can he get on base without his bat? And yeah, he's, he's drawing enough walks for him to do that. And this, again, two to three weeks, as soon as Headley comes back, he could go right back down, but we'll see what happens with him. The other news is Yoenis Cespedes legged out infield single and strained his hamstring. The news today was that he's going to be out a few games, but we've been down this road before Cespedes where he's out a few games and all of a sudden he's retroactively placed on the disabled list because he's still sore. Uh, along those along those lines, so do we are we going to go there again with Cespedes? If something happens, where do you think the playing time goes? Do they give do they give Gentry more playing time in left field and go with a Gentry, uh, Crisp and, and Reddick outfield? Where do you think they go? Um, I think they probably do um, a, a platoon situation where uh, because they've been actually playing Crisp against lefties some, uh, which is something I noticed last year. Crisp sat against most lefties and Young played. Um, so I've seen Crisp uh, taking batting practice from the, uh, from the right side and, uh, and playing against some lefties. So I think they'll make Coco an everyday player. They'll make Redick an everyday player. And uh, Gentry will platoon with somebody. I'm not exactly sure who it is. I mean, is, is, is there news that Michael Taylor is up? Not, I mean, he's not even on the 40-man roster. They would have to make a double roster move because you remember he got, he got dumped. Uh, off the, he was designated for assignment, cleared waivers, and then is still in the organization. So they would have to do they would have to do something for that. Maybe uh, maybe Mossy sometimes in the outfield and Barton gets some mostly everyday gig. So mm, I, yeah, maybe. I mean, there's 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 worse options, but I would just keep a close eye on this. I'm a Cespedes owner, and Ailes Hatwars. Obviously, I, I'm a little bit concerned there to see what happens because I know once or twice we've been down this road with him before. Oh, he's fine. Oh, he's fine. Oops, he's not fine. Uh, who is fine now is Will Middlebrooks, who has been reactivated by Boston. Brock Holt was sent down, so Middlebrooks is back in that lineup over at third base now. So that situation, we're still waiting for Boston to fire on all cylinders. I mean, they're, they are minus 17 in run differential this year. Obviously, the game against New York last night didn't help, but uh, or two nights ago. But that's where they are. Their run differential's uh, in, in trouble. Shane Victorino's been out. He's just back. So I think... I believe this gives Boston its healthy lineup for the first time since opening day, maybe. Yeah. And you know, there are some old parts to that lineup. It's not the youngest lineup, but um, uh, they also had some bad luck with Middlebrooks, I think. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see with Middlebrooks. I think, you know, I think the book is out that he's just going to be a lot of strikeouts, but low batting average and a good amount of power. So, I think he's mostly a deep leaguer for me. Same, because it's such a risk with the batting average. There's too much swing and miss, but the power's dead. Let's say, let's put it this way. Let's say you're in a mixed league and you were using Mark Trumbo as your corner guy. You've lost Mark Trumbo for a minimum, they're saying four weeks at a minimum here with a stress fracture. Let's say you've lost Mark Trumbo. Are you cool enough picking Will Middlebrooks up to replace the power because it's basically the same type of 
batting average risk? Yeah, I think that's okay. That's that's an interesting uh, way to think about. It. I mean, obviously, uh, I wouldn't put Middlebrooks into you know thirty five homers or anything, but um, uh, you know, I think I was trying to come up with another name earlier today on the radio. Uh, you know, some people were dropping Chris Davis, and uh, I, I believe in his power. The, the Chris Davis, the K. Um, if you're fortunate enough that somebody's dropping Chris Davis to C, then then there you go. <laughs> uh, but I, I think I would do something like maybe even sort by homers from last year and just look for guys that haven't been hitting them this year. Billy, just because Billy power. Butler, but I mean Billy Butler didn't even. I think he had 19 bombs last year, but he's off to a horrible start. Carlos, I mean, it's Santana. not the worst. It's not the worst idea in the world. I mean, if these guys are on waivers, the power takes forever to stabilize. So you might as well just take somebody who has a tradi- has a, a, a track record of power and go for it. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. Well, as far as track record of power, uh, does it have it? Because uh, because we're talking about Greg, uh, Gregory Polanco here. Polanco is now hitting four twenty four sixty five seventy nine in Triple A. And for people that don't know, Triple A Pirates play in Indianapolis. That's not a small bar park by any means i've been to a game there it's a big major league park especially you know you look at i believe it's standard down right field but left field's a little bigger it's a 395 to that left center field wall it's a big park and that's why i remember standing up when i went to a game there a couple of years ago but polanco's hitting ridiculous numbers at this point and you look at that the the major league outfield for pittsburgh and McCutcheon's doing his thing, but it's not like Marte's setting the world afire. It's not like uh, Travis Snyder's doing much out there. It's not like Jose Tabata's doing much out there. It really, we know at this point, this is this is a financial decision why this guy's not up. He's absolutely destroying the baseball, just like he did during spring training, and yet he's still down in Indianapolis, and those guys are in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean, you could say Snyder, you know, with an above-average walk rate, and basically average power, uh, you know, he could, with better defense, you know, be a win-win, one-win player or something. But it's not like, uh, you know, right now he looks like a replacement-level player, and it's not like a team like the Pirates who are trying to compete really want a replacement-level player. Um, you know, they want to do better than that everywhere. So uh, because a replacement-level team would be, you know, is like a 40-win team. So... Um, Tabata, I think, looks like a total bust. One of those rare, you know, cost control deals that just really didn't work out. Um, his his batting average balls in play is normal. Um, his defense is close to scratch, and he's still an under replacement player right now. He just doesn't walk, strikes out too much, has no power. Um, and I don't know. Maybe you can keep Tabata around as a fourth outfielder, a little bit more than Snyder, because Tabata can you know, play okay defense at a couple spots, I guess. Uh, but I think Tabata looks pretty bad in center field. So uh, with Marte having the defensive chops that he does, I could see them, you know, dropping either one of those guys um, or finding a way to keep them in a, in a reduced role. Uh, but um, I think that's an, just an obvious place for the Pirates to upgrade, and they just haven't done it yet. Yeah, that's what really frustrates me. Not even as uh, as a Polanco owner, just as a baseball fan. I want to see. I want to see these. I'm glad the Astros have Springer up. I'd like to see them call Singleton up. I want Greg Polanco up. I I, I want these kind of things happening. Uh, just as a baseball fan, just forget the fantasy angle of it. I want to see these guys up. Polanco's going to be a special player. We got Oscar Javaris at some point too. That's something else that we're uh, looking at. 
Something to keep an eye on if you are a uh, Kenley Jansen owner. The Dodgers have played 23 games this year, and he's appeared in 15 of them. That is a that's a Mike Marshall type pace. If you know Mike Marshall appeared in 108 games the year he won the Cy Young for the Dodgers in '74, so you have to figure that that's going to cool it because he's on pace. I believe that puts Jansen on pace for 110 outings in 162 game season. <laughs> so that that has to cool off a little bit. Not like he's been a fantastic fantasy pitcher to begin with. He's had some rough outings here, but that's a lot of work. And the thing is. They, may, they need to go get some help because Brian Wilson's just coming off the disabled list does not look good. So that's not the help. Chris Perez has looked pretty decent from what I've heard of velocity issues. So that's good. But Brian Wilson doesn't look good. Maybe they go make another uh, another grab there. So I'm a little concerned there. Any concerns with Jansen as far as his usage burning down later in the season because they're using him so heavily right now? Uh, I guess so. I mean, he has that velocity increase. He is uh, a former catcher. So I, I would say he has more bullets in his arm than a lot of uh, pitchers his age just because he hasn't been pitching his whole life. Um, I doubt it'll keep going. But on the, on the other hand, it just seems like Don Mattingly uh, is is in the school of, um, of uh, Joe Torre. Uh, and, and Joe Torre blew out Scott, Scott Proctor. Proctor. <laughs> and I'd hate to see Kenley Jansen's arm go the same way. So... Uh, I, I, I think I w- what I would say is I, a little bit more long-term career um, career risk, but I'm not so sure that it'll show up this year. And then to, to quantify the point with Mike Marshall, he worked 106 games, but he also threw 208 innings as a reliever that Jeez. year. That's the it was so insane. If you Mike Marshall, if, if people don't know, he uh, considers himself a pitching guru of biomechanics. He's got a book out there. He's got some weird theories of uh, the way balls should be delivered, using his science and whatnot. And you look at the career, and he had that stretch from seventy-two to seventy-four where it was just shut down baseball. When you look at everything he did for that three-year span, we're talking about a guy that pitched in 263 games with a 236 ERA. It's just <laughs> an insane amount, and 503 innings of work. And all of that the, all of that was relief. Is that late 80s? This was 72 to 74. Oh, late 70s. A little, little bit of a different time, though, too. Then. Still. Uh, yeah, even if you want to use ERA, ERA plus, 152 is fifth during that time, 276. Wow. Yeah, and so he finished first, second, and fourth in the Cy Young voting <laughs> and was even third. I can't believe he was only third the MVP in 74. I, that is, but that's kind of – obviously Jennings isn't going to work uh, – Jansen, rather, is not going to work that level of uh, of innings, but the game's pace is a, is a crazy number right now for him. Yeah. Crazy number for him. Uh, we're looking at Dan Heron. Speaking of sticking with the Dodgers, Dan Heron didn't take a decision last night. But still looks good. And somebody actually tweeted at me yesterday, please explain how Dan Heron's pitching well this year. And my answer is simple. Dan Heron's back is healthy. That's all it is with Dan Heron. It's not a, there's never been a question about his stuff. The only time his stuff suffers is when his back's suffering. If his back gets tight and he can't get full extension on his stuff, that's when Dan Heron has problems. And you knew coming over to the Dodgers in that stadium, it should help keep the ball in the ballpark because that's always been one of the things with him. He'll hang a split or do something, ball leaves. So far this year, his strikeouts per nine is 7.8. His walks is 1.2, 0.6 home, run to, uh, home runs per nine. Stranding runners at a league average rate. Keeping the ball on the ground, that's a huge thing right now. 
55% ground ball rate for him. He has never been that high. His previous career high is 46%. So he's getting a lot of ground balls right now. 203 ERA, 263 FIP. Are you on, where are you with Dan Heron? Uh, it's a, he's an interesting guy. I just, I just talked to him. I haven't written the post yet, but, um, you know, he, he, he admits that he has gone to the cutter because he's lost velocity. And he actually also, uh, said to me, and this is previewing the piece a little bit, but he said to me that, um, that the Duquette thing where he said that, uh, cutters lead to reduced velocity. Yeah. He said that, uh, he agreed with that philosophy and that if he threw too many cutters in a game, he would ask his catcher to throw some four seamers so that he wouldn't lose velocity in game on the four seamer. So um, he called it a resurrection pitch, pitch, which uh, you, know, you know people think about a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. You've heard that before. Uh, it, the kind of pitch that a pitcher adds late in his career to, to change things up. Um, and uh, and if you look at it, he's throwing uh, almost ten to one cutters to four seamers. So he's pretty much using the cutter as his primary fastball. And the reason that this package works for Heron and might not work for another old pitcher is that he can actually command his cutter, sinker, and split as if they were fastballs. Uh, his, his, his ball rate on the split finger is 26% right now, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. That's the lowest I've ever seen on a split finger. If you, if you think about the action on a split finger, it just dives out of the zone. It's really hard to throw that thing for a strike. Right. So, you know, it gets average whiffs. It's not, you know, it's not the splitter, splitterist splitter, splitter of all time. Uh, but it, you know, he can command it. He can command the cutter uh, better than average. He can command the sinker better than average. So that's, that's always the thing with Heron. And, you know, he said to me, it was a confidence thing. Cause if you look at his career, he had average, he had, he had better than average walk rates, but then in, in Oakland one year, um, something clicked and it just dived under two wa- walks per nine for like the rest of his career. He said that was just because it was a confidence factor. He didn't think he could throw it in the zone. And then when he discovered he could and, you know, escaped a couple of home runs, he decided that was the way to go for the rest of his career. So, you know, he also had an interesting story about um, the splitter. He said he was told not to throw it in his first organization. He said the Cardinals said no one throw a splitter uh, because of injury risk. Sure. Rays did, so, Rays did that too with Alex Cobb. That's, when you look at his split change, it, it, they they called it the split change because he wasn't allowed to throw a splitter. He gets a double A, and the coach is like, well, this is a really good pitch. Well, the org says, I can't throw it. Well, let's just give it a new name. So they called it a split change. Oh, he's throwing a changeup? Okay, good. And that's how <laughs> that's how that happened. But, yeah, they took it away from him. He had it as a prep. He has it had it as a prep. He gets drafted. By the way, you're not using that pitch. Yeah. Heron said he, he struggled in the minors a little bit and then just – just finally looked at them and said, come on guys. Um, you know, this ain't working. So <laughs> they let him do it. Um, but anyway, that's a, there's even more in there. He's, he was a really smart guy. Um, and I think he's a really smart guy with great command. And I think the stuff is just dwindling. Um, I mean, you look, he hasn't gotten a whip on his four seam all year. Um, and you know, his, his sinker gets grounders, but it doesn't get any whiffs. And that's why, he, he doesn't have a great whiff rate, but he's still getting strikeouts because he's throwing the split and the cutter at the right times and uh, throwing the sinker for ground balls. Uh, for what it's worth, he said he feels great, and then he, he actually never felt that badly uh, when it came to his back and his hip. And he said the hip thing 
may he, he'd heard the the same rumors that we'd all heard that the hip thing uh, scuttled his trade um, from the Angels before he got released. Yeah, and he said he's had that his whole life, um, and he said, you know, there's nothing to do about it except for deal with it. You know, it's right. just a minor hip thing that he thinks is minor that he does things to deal with. And he was surprised that anybody would make a big deal out of it because he's had it his whole life. And, and he's sort of like, you know, why is it a big deal now? Um, so, you know, I think you're right. There is a little bit of health there where he's, he's feeling good. I think the park is good for him. I mean, it's, it doesn't play. It's not, you know, the, the biggest pitcher park in the world anymore. It used to be way more pitcher. I don't know why, what changed. Um, but it plays well enough. He's got a good lineup behind him. He can trust his, his stuff. So I like him. I just think that um, he'll hit the DL at some point. I think, I think it's it, you'd rather, you know, predict another 120 innings out of him than than another 170. Um, so if you get 150 innings out of him in a in a three three ERA, three five ERA, and the probably like 10 to 12 wins that come with that, I think you're probably really happy about your Dan Heron investment. Okay. Yeah. The other thing I, when I, when Dan Heron signed that contract, one of the things that I wrote up at Fangraphs and talked about, there was a story he did with Adam Kilgore last year where he talked about, he admitted to scrapping the, the, the slide, uh, scrapping the splitter rather, but before he won the disabled list. And then he worked in the bullpen with Ryan, uh, Matt, Mathus, Mathus, I forget exactly how to pronounce his name. Uh, but, what he what he noticed, he said his pre-DL velocities on his fastball, his cutter, and his splitter were all about the same. There wasn't enough disparity between those pitches, so yeah. he ended up going with a slower splitter. And, and that's really what's up. And maybe that's really driving this ground ball rate, because that's quite a spike. You don't see a veteran like this just... You know, his, his ground ball rate in previous seasons, this is what we were dealing with. 41, 43, 40, 36, and then 55. That's a really big spike out of uh, out of a ground ball rate right now. So that that's something to look forward to. I agree with you that he is that back that back flares up. It's flared up each of the past two seasons. That is something to watch. We're talking about a guy since you know, 2012. He he got 30 start. He had 30 starts in each of the past two seasons, but he did not get over 180 innings. And it, because each time he had to go on the disabled list with something. Prior to that, he was a machine. 217, 223, 222, 216, 229, 235, and 238. It's one of the reasons why I loved Dan Heron back in the day because you could just pencil in 33 starts and he was good to go, didn't hurt himself with walks, home run rate fluctuated. But now we've got a guy who's probably good for a DL stint this year but still doesn't hurt himself with walks and then a nice uh, a nice situation for him. So something to bear watching there. Another guy... Uh, along the same lines, Sabathia had a second straight solid outing. We talked about last week when he was going up against Tampa Bay. I said, you know, Tampa's terrible against lefties. This is a good matchup for Sabathia, and it was. The Boston matchup traditionally has not been a good one for him. But last night against Boston, 70 strikes and 106 pitches, 12 swings and misses, gave up two run runs over six, second straight solid outing. Outside of about three or four bad innings, He's been pretty good. I know the the first two innings of the season against the Astros were awful. That sixth inning against Boston at Yankee Stadium, awful. But I've watched both of his last two starts, and this looks like the CC that a lot of us fantasy owners enjoyed in the middle part of the season last year. 
Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times you have to take the name away from CC um, and just try to look at him as if he were a no name because, um, you know, I think it actually hurts him because people are like, well, this isn't the old CC. But if you just sort of ignore that and not try to make him the old CC, um, I think that I would look at his line and say, this is a decent pitcher. This is a mixed league pitcher. This is not an ace, but it's a mixed league pitcher because he gets average whiffs on his four seam still. It's not a Dan Heron situation where he should stop throwing it. It's a, it's an average four seam, even though it only is about 91. His sinker gets a lot of ground balls and he, and he throws it just as much as his four seam and he gets a lot of ground balls and he gets a lot of whiffs. So the sinker is still a really good pitch. The change is elite. You know, 23% whiffs is up there with Hamels. Right. Um, and he gets a lot of ground balls too. You know, nine out of twelve balls in uh, play are grounders, so that's really good. So the question is, you know, is he going to improve that slider? Because he throws the slider third most, and right now it only gets eleven percent whiffs. Um, that's ahead of somebody like Martin Perez, honestly. You know, Martin Perez has something in common with what we were just talking about: the elite change, elite elite sinker. You know, Martin Perez's four seamer is not as good. Uh, and Martin Perez is looking for a slider. Martin Perez's slider, cutter, curve, whatever, is not as good as as, as CC's. So if you if you wanted if you did, took the names off these, I would take CC over Martin. Where are you? And that, I'm glad you brought up Martin Perez because when I look at a guy, obviously the the start to the season is strong. Four and 142 ERA, point nine two WHIP. It's just surprising what he's able to do. What I look at at the thing, I'm looking at a swing and miss rate of 18%. I'm looking at a pitches in the strike zone of just 44%. That's well below the league average for a starting pitcher. That's typically up in the 50s. He's at 44%, and he's getting guys to chase. A 31% chase rate's really strong there. How much do you think is going to hold up? You look at the batting average and balls in play, it's 255. I'm sure his left on base rate is high because you know when you look at what he's what he's been able to do so far. But the the start that Perez is on through five starts here, I was pessimistic about this guy to go into the season. So far, I look very bad because I said no, don't this this is not a skill that's going to hold up. 83% left on base rate with the 255 batting average and balls in play. Just a 5.5 strikeouts per nine. How much of this do you see lasting now that we're five starts into a 33 start season? Yeah, um, you know the the curve is actually doing a little better than I thought. It's it's almost it's almost there at average. It's just not getting the grounders. But he, you know he can get grounders at sinker, which is excellent. The change is excellent, um, and uh, you know things are looking better. I just um, and I guess you know. From the beginning, I, I I wish I'd listened to myself. One of the, my first theories on baseball was that I wanted to start with a sinker and a change, because um, or, or fastball and a changeup. And he has both of those things in terms of um, you know ninety three mile an hour fastball, the four seam, and then a, a great changeup. Um, and I feel like you know he's developing that cutter, and maybe you know maybe I was wrong too. But um, you know the one thing is you have to look at his history, and he's just never had a good strikeout rate. So no matter how good he gets, um, he, he, his upside is limited by his strikeout rate. And that's what for, what that's what puzzles me uh, because we're talking about a guy by pitch values has four above average pitches. His changeup, right. his fastballs, his slide these are all above average pitches, and yet he has the strikeout rate 
of a guy that you know, as, as, as a, of a soft tosser who's got five league average pitches or worse. And it just kind of weird. But as you said, the strikeout rate ever since he got a double A has not been there. But yet the results are. And I'm still, I guess I'm slightly more encouraged by what I've seen so far. But I'm also looking at this saying, is this going to be a 15-game winner at the end of the season? And I only care about the wins because of the fantasy discussion. Is this going to be a 15-game winner? I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this this lack of missing bats, even Mark Burley's got a strikeout rate of seven right now. But this used to be the same complaint that we had about Mark Burley. You know, strikeout rate was too low, not sustainable. He could get his 10 to 12 wins, but his ERA was always pushing four. And the whip was pushing one, three, because too much was left up to chance of where is that ball going to be hit? Or where is that ball going to land? And I think that argument still applies to Martin Perez, even though it, the other point I can't overlook, he has yet to allow a home run through five starts. That is, he's only allowed 20 fly balls in play, but for a guy to be pitching in Texas and allow zero home runs, that kind of raises caution flags for me as well. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me a lot, when do these numbers become stable on a per pitch basis? And I don't, there's a there's not that much research out there. I do know, uh, for example, that uh, swing rate for batters uh, takes 100 plate appearances. Um, that's you know that's probably 400 pitches. Um, so that's that's a clue. Uh, and then I know that fastball velocity uh, becomes stable in three starts. Um, and so that's probably you know 250 uh, fastballs. So, you know, we're looking at this new slider and curve out of uh, Perez, and he's thrown 50 of them. So um, I do think that we can get a clue that they're better this year already with 50. It's better than trying to look at uh, per plate appearance stop or per inning. Um, But it's uh, not quite, probably not quite to the point where we can say, okay, he's got an average slider now because it gets 14% with. I mean, the new pitches, that's part of the thing. We talked earlier about Dan Heron's ground ball rate going up. That's happening here with Perez, too. He's been a 48% ground ball rate each of the uh, coming into the season as a Texas Ranger. He's at 61% right now. That's going to help keep the ball in the park if he's not allowing uh, balls to get off the ground. But these new pitches and his first time around exposure through the league, right now it's working, and we'll see if it's sustainable uh, but that's something to keep an eye on. Somebody, uh, the Matt Joyce piece that I wrote over at uh, Rotographs today, somebody mentioned, hey, isn't it too early to be talking about, you know, a guy's making a change? It's always, I don't think it's ever too early to observe things. It's, I'm not saying anything, this is predictive of the new Martin Perez, but it's, it's something, something definitely worth observing and seeing where this goes. Yeah. Can you just give me a pause real quick? I'll, I'll try to make it quick. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Thanks. Last note on pitching is the Tampa Bay watch. We know that Eric Bedard and Cesar Ramos and Jake Odorizzi need to stay in the rotation, at least until Alex Cobb and Jeremy Hellickson get back around Memorial Day or somewhere thereabouts later. Bedard was awful for a second straight outing. Had to, was able to get through four innings in this start, but he had 65 pitches to get through the first two innings of the outing on Thursday against Minnesota. So that was a problem for him. It's just it's not working out well. Ramos has not been able to go deep. Odorizzi has had trouble getting through the second time of the lineup. I wrote that's something I wrote about over at Process Report on Thursday. Odorizzi needed 52 pitches to turn over the Twins lineup on Wednesday. The second time through, they absolutely pounded them. Yeah, so this yeah, is an issue. You know, for what it's worth, I was pointing out that 
he now has one pitch because I do like that splitter, but the slider's no good. And he, there's a lot of relievers that have a fastball splitter. I mean, you think of uh, Jared Burton in, right. in Minnesota. So uh, he still needs another pitch. It, to me, when I look, though, maybe Romero's doing okay, but Karn can't find the plate in the minor Correct. League. That's the issue here. And that's what I was going to get at. And the other issue with Odorizzi is he's not commanding his fastball well either. You look at his numbers the first time through the lineup, they're good. He's held guys that I think a four for 34 line for the first time through the lineup. Second time through, it's not as good because he's falling behind early. And then he's not using that, or he's trying to use that changeup early. Oh crap, they didn't swing at it. Now I'm down 1-0. Okay, let me throw my fastball. And you go look at his fastball behaviors throughout a game. He's got this big pocket of trouble in that second. I, I used Brooks baseball and said, show me the percentage of fastballs in and out of the zone during the game. And right there in the middle of the game, he's got problems commanding this fastball within the strike zone. And guys are just saying, okay, I'm just going to wait for one to come in the zone. And you're going to miss your spot. I'm going to, I'm going to hit it. And that's the issue with Carnes. He's been very inconsistent. Two starts ago looked really good. And then his last start on Wednesday couldn't make it out of the third inning. Um, Eddie Romero's got control problems. Mike Montgomery uh, is not a polished product. He didn't look that great in the AFL. He's been inconsistent. I just think this is what it is in Tampa Bay unless something else were to materialize. But internally, this is it. I don't. Maybe Romero gets the call. But Carnes, I know in talking to some people over there, there's some concerns about you know where he is from the neck up. Uh, the way he's uh, approaching some of these games. And that's they're not going to call somebody up like that. They might as well just deal with what they have. So if, if you're looking at speculating who's going to replace Bedard if he continues to stink like this, I don't think it's going to be anybody anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at Romero's numbers, and if he's the best situation, I mean, he hasn't really improved on his on his career problems either, has he? No, not really. This is a situation where, I mean, ideally, Alex Colomay would be up. And with Colomay, at least... He's got such that heavy ground ball rate. That would have been a nice thing to work on. But he's suspended 50 games. I don't think he's due back until the third week of May. And then you've got to you know, see where, what kind of condition he's in uh, when he comes back. Because obviously he's only going to be throwing where he's permitted to throw at this point. But we're talking with, with Romero. He's made four starts. He's only pitched 20 innings. So that's you know, the same five and dive approach that he's had. He's given up 10 walks, 13 runs, 10 of them earned. So it, I don't know if it's any gain. It's just, it's just, I don't want to see Eric Bedard pitch anymore. I've had to see him t- pitch twice live in the last five days, and I don't know what I've done in life to deserve that kind of punishment. And there's no – I mean, they're kind of stuck. There's no, um, there's no like, harangue-type free agents out there, and they're, you know, they're, they're running a little dry in the minor leagues. They can't, you know, trade a position player for a pitcher or something like that. No, when you, when you lose three guys that are disabled as the one guy at the suspension – you know, it, it pretty much blows up your depth chart. They really, I don't think they have another option. Let's get into a piece that you wrote. Uh, I don't know if you've published it yet, but you were looking into uh, pitchers and looking at their strikeout rates uh, minus their walk rate. And it, I think that nobody's surprised Jose Fernandez is at the top of that list. You take that 37.9% strikeout rate he has and the 4.8% walk rate, and you get a 33.1% K minus BB. Yeah, yeah leading the league. Um, and I just wanted to uh, bring it up because it, it was proven to be the best in-season predictor by. Oh man, I'm I'm I'm. Was this something Salfino? Was that was that? I think I saw you and no. Salfino going back and forth on something. Yeah, we've talked about it, but somebody wrote about it on on Beyond the Box Score. I wish I could uh, uh, attribute it correctly, but um, anyway, it's it's beaten 
uh, you know, Sierra and things like that in season. Um, and I think that's just because it's the, it's the, it's the crux of the game, you know? So, um, you know, these things aren't necessarily, uh, by themselves, um, stable yet. So that can change. I mean, obviously Tim Lincecum right now is showing a 4% walk rate and he's almost never done that. That's the thing that so jumped out when I looked at it. That. That's, so, that's the one that really stood you know, out to me. Take it with a grain of salt, but in terms of in-season prediction, this is supposedly one of the best ways to do it, and there's some great sleeper names on there, and Jesse Chavez is there. Uh, you know, another sign for, for hope there, um, and another reason to like them. That was, uh, the, that was the name that really stood out to me, was was Lincecum. I looked down the list, I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, Tanaka's pitching well, Santana's pitching well, Jesse Chavez, sure, and I got Tim Lincecum. I was like, huh? I mean, I knew right. the strikeouts were there, but the walk rate, that, that was surprising. You know, and you know what's so weird about how he's doing it? No. He He's one of the few people in the world who cannot command his fastball and can command his off-speed stuff. Um, so he's throwing his fastball less and less. And it doesn't seem, you know, like a great idea, um, you know, just because, you know, fastballs make the world go round. But, um, you know, he's now done it two days two years in a row where he's he's threatening to go under 50 percent on the fastball um and even though it barely cracks 90 uh you know and he's also i guess you know for what it's worth the best first strike rate of his career um so i guess he's just focusing on that and then throwing a lot of junk um but uh the homers are still there because he doesn't even if he's showing better control right now he doesn't have good command um, and I just, I just don't trust it. I mean, I know that that number is a decent in-season predictor. I know he's still got swing and miss stuff. I know there's reasons to like him. I just don't trust it. I, I don't blame you when you look at a 6.43 ERA and a 1.48 WHIP with Lincecum. That's that's, you know, it's tough to swallow. I'm here, so I'm looking at home league. I'm like, I have Bartolo Colon on my team because I did not draft my team. He's not somebody I would have targeted personally, but I have Bartolo Colon. And he has two wins, 26 strikeouts on the season, a 450 ERA, and a 128 whip. But I'm thinking, you know, do I offer Colon for Lincecum based on this kind of thing? Um, I don't know, man. I Colon's problem is homers, right? Right, and that's been Lincecum's problem too. He's given up six bombs this year. Yeah, but it's not the same. It's not the same level of a problem. I feel like you know. Although I guess it is. I mean, I'm looking now at, at Lincecum's homer rate the last couple of years. It's pretty, pretty much one per game, and that's when Cologne's not doing so well. He's giving up a homer per game. So um, that's a really interesting one. I guess maybe because the strikes out upside is so strikeout upside is so much better for Cologne. I mean, for Lincecum than Cologne. They've both given up six bombs this year. Lincecum's done it in 136 fewer pitches. <laughs> that's been that's really been that's been the difference and the batting average uh, against Lincecum's 30 points higher. Conversely, the OBP is 42 points higher. The slugging is 100 uh, 100 points higher. But Lincecum's home park should help more. You would think. I mean, he's got the higher swing and miss rate. There's their strike rates about four percentage points apart. Uh, Lincecum's getting more chases in that regard. So it's one of these things that you look at. You're like, hmm. I don't know. It's just one of these. If you're looking at a not even a sell high buy low because Cologne's not even high at this point. It just but Lincecum. When you look at what we're talking about here, you're like, okay, he's really on this list. This is a good in-season predictor, and we're looking at a guy with this high ERA and, and, uh, and whip and thinking, okay, 
has he hit rock bottom? Is, is this where he bounces back up? Yeah, I mean, if that's your investment, I can get behind it. I mean, that's not a that's not a heavy investment. Oh, <laughs> offer set, offer set. We'll see what the guy does. Right. <laughs> so, uh, that, is there, were there any other names? Go ahead. Sorry. One name I, that leaps out at me is Drew Hutchinson. Hutchinson, because I've been um, I've been hating on him a little bit, and I and I I don't know why. Um, I think I should have looked a little bit closer because here's a 93 mile an hour fastball, and even if you open up the sample. Um, you know, back to 2012, um, he actually has an average change in an average slider. The, the, and the fastball actually gets above average whiffs. The, the thing that I struggle with sometimes when I get to this level is, well, okay, so he's got an average change, an average slider, and a just barely above average four-seamer. That sounds like an average pitcher. And, you know, in fantasy, we're not all about the average pitcher. So... Um, mm-hmm. I really need to do this work that I've been talking about, which is uh, doing linear regression to find how to weight these things. But the fact that his fastball is above average is probably a big part of why um, his swing strike rate is so high. One of the things I, th- I think well, – I've only watched the one start they made against Tampa Bay. I know we put up a nice slash, uh, a nice stat line last night in a loss to uh, that the bullpen obliterated against Baltimore. I watched the start against Tampa Bay. I found him to be effectively wild. I mean, I, I saw Navarro's glove moving around a lot as he was throwing his fastball, but you know it was running away out of the strike zone on the fringe, so guys were chasing it or, or making bad contact on it or it was drifting back in glove side and, and jamming some bats so I found him to be effectively wild I know his next start out it didn't work out as well for him but I, I remember seeing two starts in spring training and being impressed I saw him in the Arizona Fall League and was impressed with what I saw there so I've seen more good than I have bad from him uh but yeah again his his when you look at this list he's he's surrounded by Michael Waka Chris Sale Alex Wood those are the names that he's mixed in there with and he's got better rates than Sale and Wood do yeah. Uh, there's also an interesting thing going on. So now I'm looking at plate discipline lines because of what you're talking about. Um, his uh, pitch affects plate discipline. He got about an average zone rate. He's not getting people to reach as much as, as, as the average. Um, but if you look at his BIS zone rate, it's way below average. Well, not way below it. It's below average, and it has been. So now we're talking about a guy, and also way below on first strike percentage. So I think if I... We're watching him, and I think I, I'm not sure he's a mixed leaguer yet, and he's already gone in in deep leagues, so he's kind of in that nebulous space, kind of like Keuchel, where you're like, okay, do I start dropping my, you know, struggling veterans for this guy yet? Um, and what I would look for is a game with a good first strike rate, because if you're if you can get strike one, then you can be more effectively wild, like you're saying, I think. Um, but if you don't get the strike one and you're not getting a ton of reaches, then you're going to have some bad walk rate games. And, uh, you know, coming off a surgery, um, you know, what the weird thing is, is minor league uh, walk rates were all good. But, you know, you can be that you can throw the ball towards the center of the plate in the minor leagues. Um, And I'm not so so sure you can do that at 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 the major league level. So. There's, I guess there might be a little bit of a command issue. The home park is not going to be good for homers ever. Um, so you might want to, you know, judge him as going to show uh, worse ERAs than his FIP. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, the zips and steamer rest of seasons are, are just right there where you, do I pick this guy up for mixed league or not? 
not. You know, it's like three nine four oh six. I don't know, man. That's that's really borderline for mixed league. Mixed league really needs to be excellent, you know. Yes. So, I I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't really add to the discussion. He's a very interesting player. He has the three pitches you want to have for a guy to have. He has a good fastball. He's a history of good walk rates. Uh, if you watch him and believe, I think this would be the, a, a perfect case for you to sit down as the listener and and watch a game and see what you think because. You know, you know the numbers say he's pretty good. <laughs> they do. I, I definitely have it on my homework assignment to go back and watch the start yesterday against Baltimore. I want to watch that one because that's a really good lineup these days. You look at what Nelson Cruz is doing, what Matt Wieters is doing in that lineup. It's a bear, that that two to five is really tough for guys to get through right now, and they potentially have Manny Machado coming back next weekend, as early as next weekend. But I want to go back and see what he was able to do against that lineup. Because that lineup's done very well. Uh, and when you look at the final number last night, I believe he had nine strikeouts, one walk, six innings, six hits. Uh, that's something to go back and look at. Yeah, sure. Uh, finally, the uh, final thing is, in case you missed it, baseball has opened up the All-Star Game voting. In the third week of Jul- uh, third week of April, for a game in the middle of July, you now have your opportunity to stuff ballots to your heart's content. Uh, if you want, I think it's the dumbest thing in baseball to the way they do this, and they actively pimp uh, the pimp their own players. Come on, put stuff the ballot box for J.P. Aaron Sibia to be your all-star catcher. No, uh, but that's happening right now in baseball. I, I think we all know that Derek Jeter is going to be the starting shortstop of the American League, assuming he's still healthy in July. Uh, when there are arguably going to be much more deserving candidates, but this happens every year, and I probably should stop getting all upset about it. That said, uh, to close the show, let's look at you know, who would you choose as like your uh, an AL or an NL only All Star based on this year's performance so far. What we've done in three weeks, yes, is small sample size, but this is still what we do in the month of April. Who would you pick uh, for an All Star? Uh, you know, I think I would have to take the guy who's atop the entire heap and didn't cost anybody anything in draft day, which is Charlie Blackman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and one thing I do like about him going forward is that contact rate is one of the first things to stabilize. And it's just really it's really good for your batting average to put balls in play. So uh, as much as I think he's probably overvalued right now because he's not going to hit this many homers for the year. Um, I do like him and I and I'll give him the all star nod. For me, I mentioned Derek Jeter because I love what Alexi Ramirez is doing to start the season. He's hitting with some of the pop that he didn't have last year. He's still running. He's hitting for a really good average. I like the way that that situation is playing out. That Chicago offense is is very good this year, the way they're putting up runs, and he's been a huge part of it. And I'd like to see something like that. I know some people side all, it should be a career achievement. Now, All-Star, to me, All-Star should be what you're doing that year. And I don't know why we've got to open up the voting uh, two and a half months before the actual game takes place these days. You could do it within six weeks if you want to. But I'd like to see guys get rewarded for what they're doing in the season. Or in his case, even if you want to look back from last year's All-Star break to this year's break, look at those kind of guys. And Blackman holds up very well in that regard. Uh, Victor Martinez holds up well in that regard because he's been like, one of the toughest guys to strike out. But And Alexi Ramirez has done well in that regard. So that's kind of where I'm looking at. Even as, as the guy I wrote about this week, with uh, with Matt Joyce, the way he's performing in the month of April here and off to a terrific start is he uses all parts of the field uh, to the point where teams have stopped overshifting him. It's always been Matt Joyce is up. I'm putting three guys to the right side of the infield. He's doing so well these days. 
that he's almost being played straight up. Mm. And, you know, uh, just about Alexi, you know, he'd never had the 2020 season that he seemed to be headed for. And, you know, it looks like this year might be the year. So uh, I, I like that. I like that pick. I think Brian Dozier deserves uh, an infield nod as well. I know that the batting average isn't there, but the power and speed are. And uh, I think there's some, some, you know, possibility he gets up to 260 or so. Uh, th- yeah, that could happen with him. So that's just a, a few of the guys. If you want to go have fun and, and stuff the ballot box you know, with your own types of players, feel free to go and have fun with the process. I know they, they do limit you how many votes you can put in. But I, I went through and I put guys. I, I have uh, Brandon Belt on mine as one of the guys that I have. I put Alexi Ramirez on mine. I, I, I do have Matt Joyce on mine. But I went through earlier before the show today before we started recording and said, okay, who am I going to put on the All Star ballot? Because I'm looking at guys this year. I have Brian Dozier as my as my second base. You look at Brian Dozier. One of the things that stands out to me: the batting average isn't high, but that's not Brian Dozier's calling card. He's got six stolen bases already. He's getting on base. His walk rate's high, so he's getting opportunities to get on base and run, and he's taking advantage of those. I put Matt Wieters because he's having a terrific start to the season after a very disappointing 2013. Michael Brantley, a guy that's got tons of extra base hits right now, is getting on base a lot. I like him. I like De- Devin Messeraco as catcher in the National League. And, and I, I even have D. Gordon in there because D. Gordon's still getting it done. How about your, your deep league guys? Oh, who would I have for a deep league guy? Uh, we, 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 thinking... The other day we talked about Dallas Keuchel. I, I, I have him. I picked him up in a couple yeah. of leagues, and I'm using him. So I, I put money where my mouth is and said, okay, if we're going to talk about him and we see the growth in strikeout rate, let's you know, let's go get this done. So that's somebody that I, I went up and picked up. Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody else that I, I've done I'm in one of the with, leagues. Uh, what Marcus Simeon has done, I think he's maybe – Making a, a role for himself at some, uh, you know, even going forward, uh, and I, and my man Lucas Duda, <laughs> Lucas Duda, you know, finally found his way to, to full time playing. I mean, you know, two thirds playing time, I guess. Sure. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's leave our readers with uh, some uh, some deep league pickups for the week. Uh, deeply pick up for the week. Uh, by the way, the other note I wanted to bring up on Brian Dozier, he's tied for second in the American League war. He's only behind Mike Trout. He and Melky Cabrera are tied with 1.2 wins above replacement so far. The only, the only negative thing I have to say about him really, um, I mean, the strikeout rates up a little bit, but that's not quite, um, uh, stable yet is, that and and he, I wished he would be a little bit more aggressive because he has a good contact rate, um, and I think he could actually benefit from swinging more often. Um, the only thing that that bothers me is that he didn't quite figure out the infield fly ball rate. It looks like he's going to have a problem with that again. I don't know if it's super stable or anything, but you know, the, in the early going, he looks like he's going to have that infield fly ball rate problem, and that's always going to push his batting average down until he figures that out. His, his his ceiling is probably 240, 250. That's why I say he could hit 260 if he figures that out. Yeah, that's that, that's definitely a, something to be concerned with him because he does try to get underneath the ball, and when that happens, he is going to do what he's doing there. Uh, yeah. But I mean, to me, the six stolen bases just really stood out to me. I'm like, wow, check this out. Look what he's doing right now, and that's that's really been impressive for him. Uh, but uh, deep league pickup, I think, on the NL side, uh, I'm probably looking at Pollock 
in, in Arizona. Um, one thing, you know, that it, in deep leagues, it's really hard to, to identify uh, playing time changes and stuff. But with Trumbo out at least six to eight weeks, um, I know that Ross is, is there and they could go Ross, Para, um, and uh, I don't know why I'm blanking. Oh, do they actually still need Pollock? Is Pollock a starter? Ross, uh, they're gonna ro- they're gonna have rotation in there. That's gonna be the issue. But with Trumbo, wow, I don't know if they I don't know if they can afford the rotation. I think they're just gonna have to play the three guys. Let me see here. Uh, Pollock, oh Kishnik, Campana. Okay, yeah. So yeah, I think it'll be Ross, Para, Pollock. Um, I know Campana has uh, a lot of speed, uh, but uh, he is lacking in a lot of other ways. Um, and so maybe I, I don't think that uh, Tony will take the um, at bats against righties completely away from Pollock. I just don't think you can take a guy who doesn't walk at all, strikes out like a average you know power hitter type guy. Um, I don't think you can take him and put him in every day. So maybe uh, against some tougher righties or, or, or somebody that Pollock uh, hasn't seen well in the past. You'll see Tony take time, but I think Pollock will be more of the everyday starter. Yeah, I think he'll be there too. And, uh, I'll go in the outfield looking at Chris Tenorfi over the past two weeks. He's hit about 350. Uh, OPS is near 900. He's got three stolen bases. Typically, Dorfi has been a guy that's had to play on the short side of the platoon, but right now he's getting it done and looking at it's being quite productive. You may be jumping in on the tail end of this, but why not enjoy the ride while you can? Yeah, and we got to do one AL guy. Uh, You got anybody? AL's so weird. I mean, when you look at the fact that Adam Dunn is just absolutely crushing the baseball right now, but he can't even be considered a deep league guy because people are, you know, in on that uh, situation. You know, the the Uh, Kevin Kuzminoff story is going to end today because Adrian Beltre comes off the disabled list, so that situation is going to go away, and that won't be available. I mean, offensively, I mentioned Michael Brantley kind of flying under the radar. Because, but we're talking about a guy who's got a 412 on base percentage and a 605 slugging average over the last two weeks, and he's hitting 302 doing it. But Michael Brantley's not a sexy name. But if we're talking deep for non 12 team mixed leagues, you know that kind of thing, that situation, he he's available. Well, how's that? Well, in mixed leagues, yeah, I'm not, not saying a... like a 15 team. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking deep league. I'm thinking like 15, 15 to 18 team mixed league situation. He may not, he may not be rostered. Yeah, and AL only. You know, I'm looking at my waiver wires in my AL only leagues, and there's, I've got nobody that I can really, uh, that I can really <laughs> tell anybody with any confidence that they should go pick him up. I mean, even a guy like Jesse Crane has apparently stopped throwing. Um, oh, on that note, Matt Albers went on the disabled list. Matt Albers went on the disabled yeah. list, and Jesse Crane stopped throwing. I do think that uh, does give a little bit more love to my man Anthony Bass. Uh, Josh Fields obviously is a little bit ahead of Anthony Bass. Right. Anthony Bass was used in the eighth, uh, but I think Bass, Qualls, and Fields are Fields are actually all in this in this thing still. So if any one of those is available, uh, I mean we're talking AL only here. I think they should all three should probably be owned at this point. Yeah, I think even Qualls has pitched better. I know he, he got roughed up last week. Uh, they were saying that he had uh, a bit of a flu bug and that, but he. I remember I've checked his line scores just to keep an eye to see where things are, and uh, he's looked good there. I guess I guess deeply, I'm looking at Michael Choice. 
We're talking about a guy who's at 333 uh, with a 444 on base percentage. Limited playing time because he's stuck on the short side of the platoon. But I like the skills. If something were to happen out there injury-wise, I think Joyce could have a good chance to flourish out there. And I think we're seeing – we saw this – this past week, over the last two weeks here, now that Diane Vicieta was guaranteed playing time once once uh, Garcia went on the disabled list, last two weeks Vicieta was hitting 413 with a 449 OBP and a 652 slugging average. That's what he's done since the playing times come up for him. And the slugging, it's all been doubles because he just has the one home run, but he's still he's still getting on base with that. He's got six doubles, a triple, and a home run over his last 49 plate appearances, and he's not striking out, and he's walking where he's always walked. So this has been a nice hot stretch for him. If you were able to buy low on him a couple of weeks ago when it looked like he was the one getting crowded out of playing time, kudos to you. <laughs> you know, all the important Astros bullpen updates. Oh, man, forget it. <laughs> Who knows what else is going to be. I mean, I like the way Matt Albers was looking, but he's got shoulder tendonitis. And we've all been down this road before. We'll see where this uh, ends up going. But right now, uh, we don't know where that's going to go. Yeah. All right. Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, enjoy enjoy your weekend, everybody. We'll be back on – Nick and I will be back on Sunday night to set up the week ahead. And then you and I will talk again next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 